0: Our church, ICF Zurich, is celebrating its 20 years anniversary this year. And during that time, we never had a permanent home. Through the growth of our church and external factors, we always had to move location from one place to another. But this time is soon coming to an end. We are coming home. And we are so looking forward to this new chapter that we are living as a church. This new building will give us great facilities for our celebrations. Great room for community, ICF college courses, and amazing room for our kids and youth facilities. If you wanna be part of this project, if you wanna get some information on this project called Coming Home, and maybe you wanna support it financially, then please go to our website. You will get all the information there. Thank you so much for your support.
1: Bungee Jump ist nichts, heute gehen wir bergsteigen.
0: Ich war doch schon auf einigen Bergtouren, doch jede neue Tour fordert von einem extrem viel Mut, denn du weißt nie genau, was dich erwartet. Doch wollt ihr ein Geheimnis wissen? Den Mut hole ich mir von da oben.
1: Okay, uh, before I get started, I want to uh, announce an official disclaimer. You know the disclaimer that comes at the end of an email. Um, if you get an email of any larger company, the company makes a disclaimer saying uh, if any of the context That person wrote might offend you or might be politically incorrect. We are are not responsible for it. And I want to make a a disclaimer. What I say might not necessarily be the official view of ICF Zurich. But not only that. um, If I might um, offend anyone in this message, I do not intend to. But I know it's kind of a risky message. There are certain... um, Passages are inside this message that I talk about frustration, um, my frustration about Christianity. And I'm not talking about other churches there, I'm talking about me. I, I consider myself as part of the family. So I hope I don't offend anyone. But I realize I cannot make a, a message on the topic of courage without having or, or, or giving a bold message, right? This would be a contradiction in itself. So let's pray that the God uh, gives me wisdom, okay? <laughs> God, I uh, give you all the glory, and I thank you so much uh, that we can just get together as a family and open our hearts, and we open our hearts for you, for your word, and for your will. And I ask you, God, that you build some of this godly kingdom into our hearts and into our daily lives by this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The series that we are in has the title, You Make Me Brave. Now, for those who know German, um, know that there is a German word called Brav, which is the absolute opposite of brave. Now, Brav in German does not mean bold or courageous, but it uh, it rather means well-behaved, or plain, or a good guy. Okay, so this message is not about well behaving, but this message is about courage. But I have to be honest, when I look at people after many years they follow Jesus, they go into any kind of church, many times it feels like it's not the courage that goes up, it's not the boldness that goes up, it's not a courageous, optimistic view of the future that goes up over the years, but many times I feel like it's more the well-behaved kind of thing that goes up. And I realize many people, after years, they become rather more complicated, pessimistic um, about the future, about their worldview, than they have been years before. Two weeks ago, we had a small group, and the the host of this evening, he asked us, what is your biggest frustration right now? And all the guys just shared their stories, what what frustrates them, what's not easy for them. And then finally, they came to me, and I said, to be honest, my current biggest frustration is Christianity. And they looked at me, and I said, well, it's, um, of course, just a feeling. It's not an opinion, but I sometimes... I am sometimes confused when I see what faith and church does to people over the years because I see some people who really obviously get changed by the Spirit of God become more um, courageous, um, more um, optimistic about their future. They more trust into God. And their life starts to flourish. But I see also people, their sorrows become bigger. They complain about everything and they got complicated in every kind of way. Jesus said to his disciples and Jesus says to you and me, you are the light of the world. And this is a strong statement. Because what is light doing? Light gives hope. Light opens perspective. Light gives energy to life. Without light, there is no life. Light displays the right way to go. And light also displays unseen problems, dangers. And Jesus says to us, you are that kind of light to your society you live in. You are that kind of light to your neighborhood. You are that kind of life to your co-workers, to your boss, to your family. Around you, there is new hope. Around you, things start to flourish again. Around you, the unseen becomes seen. The right way becomes obvious. Jesus goes further and says, you are the salt of the world. What is salt doing at that time when Jesus lived? They used salt to preserve meat. So they put a lot of salt around a piece of meat to preserve it. In other words, Jesus says, you are the people who preserve the society. You are the people who preserve marriages, relationships. And what is salt also doing? It makes things spicy. It makes food more enjoyable. In other words, Jesus is saying, you make life enjoyable again. This is our purpose. I want to look at a man this afternoon together with you. His name is Daniel. And he was definitely not just a nice guy, but he was a bold guy. His story begins about 500 years before Christ with um, the destruction of Judah and the exile to Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar came, he conquered uh, Judah, and he took not only all the treasures out of the country, but he also took young teenager men, out of the country. So he was looking for young guys, well-educated, uh, good-looking, strong, um, with, uh, with coming out of good homes. And he took them to Babylon, into the center of the, of the time. So t- today you probably would say he took them to the White House. And Daniel and his three friends, they became part of a casting. It was a sort of a casting, and they knew if we made... All the way through, we will end up being rich. We will end up being people of influence. And we will end up being the personal consultant of King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel had this great chance in his life. Instead of living a life in in danger, in in a country that was all down, he had the chance of his lifetime to go do a great career in a country that is rich, in a place that is safe. Influencing the strongest man of that time, King Nebuchadnezzar. But there is one thing you have to know about this king. The Bible tells us in Daniel 5 verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar, he put to death anyone he wanted to. He spared anyone he wanted to spare. So Nebuchadnezzar, let's say this way, he had issues. He was a weird, a dangerous man. Narcissistic in every kind of way. He believed that there is no other God than himself. So he, had, he asked the people of his time to worship him instead of any other God. So Daniel becomes a, a part of this casting, but there was some little problem, just a little small, really small, 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 small problem. And that has to do something with food. The king decided that these young guys were supposed to get the same food that he had. And this was a big honor. But Daniel knew that on this table, there is meat that is unclean. He knew by the law of Israel, he knew there is food on the table that I am not supposed to eat as a Jew. And the problem was even bigger. He knew that the way the food got there was through occult um, ways. So people gave glory to the gods of their time and brought the food. And this was the food that came to the table of the king. So Daniel knew this food is unclean. So what is he doing? Daniel 1, 8 to 17. Daniel decided not to make himself unclean by eating the king's food and drinking his wine. So he asked the chief official for a favor. He wanted permission not to take himself unclean with the king's food and wine. God has caused the official to be kind and friendly to Daniel. But the official refused to do what Daniel asked for. He said, I'm afraid of the king. He's my master. He had decided what you and your friends must eat and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men who are the same age you are? When he sees how you look, he might as well kill me. So Daniel spoke to the one of the guards. The chief official has appointed him over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel said to him, please test us for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and give us only water to drink. Then compare us with the young men who eat the king's food. See how we look after that. Do what you want to do. The first lesson that we read out of this life of Daniel is dare to trust God. Or let's say it this way dare to trust God really. So Daniel comes in this situation where the the law of the time contradicts to the law of God. And what is he doing? He's not apologizing. And he's not saying to the God, I'm really sorry, but I'm not allowed. It's a bad rule. I know it doesn't make sense. It's really bad, but I'm not allowed to eat that food. Can we make some, I don't know, maybe I can throw it under the table so the dog eat it. Or can you maybe just look away? Or maybe, I mean, if I just eat what I want, is that okay? No, he doesn't apologize at all. The other thing is true. He stands in front of this guard and says, what God tells me to do is the best I can do. If God tells me not to eat that kind of stuff, it will do me good. I am absolutely convinced that the will of God is the best thing for my life. And he even puts it further and he says, why don't you make a test? Because I'm absolutely convinced that God will bless me if I do his will. And to be honest, 10 days is not enough for good food to make you better looking. I mean, if this uh, test would have been, I I don't know, like 90 days, okay, then you start seeing a difference, maybe, but 10 days, come on, that's too short. That needs a miracle, and Daniel expects the miracle. He's not offending the God. He does not tell him what is wrong about their culture. He's not doing anything like that. He's just saying, I have another approach of life, and I ask you to respect it. And if you have a problem with it, why don't we test it? I mean, just check it out. And you will see that it's a good thing. What do we do if we get into a situation where the laws of our time do compete to God's will? What do we do? I think there are two kinds of Christians. One is the thermometer. I don't know, how do you say this word? What is that? Thermometer. (laughs) Thermometer. Okay, let's just call it T Christians, okay? Because I will, I will, I will mess it up. I'm no. I, I will not get it through the message. Okay, the T Christians. What is this thing doing? A thermometer. He can tell you it is too cold, right? And he's right. He can say the situation is not okay. It's too cold. He judges. It's too cold. He's right. It is too cold. But the problem with him is he doesn't change a thing. He cannot change anything. He can say, oh, the world we live in is so bad. All the politics, all the media, all all these people coming into a country messing up with the Christian culture of Switzerland. That's very easy. That's so easy. But it doesn't change anything. And the only thing that this thing can do is huddle into the warm nest. Retreat into the warm nest of Christianity where it's still a little warmer than out in this bad world. So he just goes away. And he loses his influence. But I believe there is another way how we can deal with that situation. And that is the heater Christian. Now the heater in the beginning is the same. He can measure the temperature. And he tells you, just like this guy, oh, something is wrong. It's too cold. He's right. But then comes the biggest difference. He can set the right temperature. He can tell you how it should be. And now comes the even better thing is, he changes the situation by changing himself. By him getting warmer, he starts changing the situation. What is he doing? He passes on the warmth. Everything around him becomes warm as well. And what else happens? He starts attracting other people that are already suffering from the cold and say, Oh, this is beautiful. Wow. Oh, this is nice. Around you, I feel better. Oh, man, what do you have inside of you that gives you this temperature? And you tell them, it's Jesus Christ who changed my life. And that is a big difference to that kind of guy. This guy changes something not by changing others. He changes something by changing himself, allowing God to work inside of him, outside. Paul says it this way in Ephesians verses, uh, five, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. At one time, you were all in the dark, but now you are in the light because of what the Lord has done. Live like children of that light. That light produces what is completely good, right, and true. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the acts of darkness. They don't produce anything good. Show what they are really like. It is shameful even to talk about what people who don't obey do in secret. But everything the light shines on can be seen. Lights make everything clear. That is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, then Christ will shine on you. So be very careful how you live. Do not live like people who aren't wise, but live like people who are wise. Daniel did just that. The second lesson out of the life of Daniel is do not be afraid of being brave. Do not be afraid of being brave. We ask our staff members spontaneously in the office, what they think when they hear the word brave. Here is the result.
0: Mut, brauchte ich letztens, als ich mit Freunden auf diese Wahnsinnsbahn ging, auf dem Jahrmarkt. Ich hatte so die Hosen voll. Mut ist für mich, aus meiner Komfortzone rauszukommen. Mut bedeutet für mich, Angst zu überwinden. Mut ist für mich, vor dieser Kamera zu stehen. Ich brauche Mut, um grosse Entscheidungen zu treffen. Mut wäre schön, wenn es das gratis gäbe. Aber meistens kostet es etwas. Es kostet mir Mut, über meine Gefühle zu reden. Mut is for mich kein iPhone zu kaufen. Uh, Mut, ja, ja, das ist gut, uh, aber nicht für mich. Uh, ja, der, der Superman, der ist mutig, aber ich, nee, weniger, weniger.
1: Mut, das ist gut, yeah. Awesome. The second story that we look in is a little later in the book of Daniel. Daniel now is one of the most influenced people of his time, very close to the king. One morning, the King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and realized he had a bad dream last night. The problem was he didn't remember his own dream. Now, I just had that a few days ago. I told my wife in the car in the morning, I said, honey, I had such a strange dream last night. And she said, what did you dream? And I said, I don't know. I still remember that it was strange. I still have some of the feelings left out of that dream, but I don't remember it. And she said, why did you tell me that? I said, I don't know. I'm just sharing my emotions, honey. This is what men do. Or no, women, Uh, whatever. So Nebuchadnezzar gets his staff together. Um, the, The guys who were just around him, his counselors, not Daniel, but others, and he said, well, I have a dream. And they all looked at him and said, okay, tell us your dream, and we will interpret it. And then he said, well, that's the problem. I don't know what I dream. And they looked at each other, and he said, well, you are, um, you are fortune tellers. I mean, you have this supernatural ability. Um, you will just tell me what I, I was dreaming, right? And they really got nervous because they realized, Whoa, now we are in trouble because creativity is not enough for that. <laughs> and so after a the time, they said, well, boss, uh, um, We're very sorry, but we don't know. And King Nebuchadnezzar, I told you he had issues, right? He got so upset, he said, well, why don't we get rid of all of the counselors? I mean, just fire them. Oh no, wait, why don't we just kill all of them? So he made this spontaneous decision to kill all of his counselors at the same time, even those who weren't around. So they came and wanted to arrest Daniel. So what is Daniel doing in this situation? Daniel spoke to him, the guard, wisely and carefully. He asked the king's officer, why did Nebuchadnezzar give a terrible order like that? Then Ariot explained to Daniel what was going on. When Daniel heard, he went to the king. He told him he would explain the dream to him, but he needed more time. Daniel returned to his house. He explained everything to his friends. And what they did is they huddled together. They prayed. Daniel went to bed. God gave him the vision and the interpretation. Next morning, Daniel gets up. He gets to the king. He tells him, This is what you dreamed. And without asking if he's right or wrong, he said, This is the meaning. Do not dare to be brave. Daniel. Again, does something that forces a miracle. Daniel knew, if God will not help me this night, I'm in even bigger trouble than I am already. But he is counting on God. He's counting on God. And God honors this so much. And God honors that man. And this is the beginning of a career. Daniel ended up being the counselor of four different kings. And again and again, he was the one who was able, with the Spirit of God, to give the right interpretation to a dream, to explain what was going on. But the crazy thing about Daniel is he was not always telling nice stuff to the king. All the other fortune tellers, they would have never dared to say anything negative to a king like Nebuchadnezzar. You would always say something that pleases him. He would always tell good news, never bad news. But Daniel, with the spirit of God, was honest. And many times he said eye to eye something in the eye of the king that was offending. That could have cost him not only his career, but his life. But every time, God gave him the favor. And Daniel was able to influence the most powerful men of that time. Daniel was inf- able to influence politics, world history by the Spirit of God. The last lesson that we learn out of the story of Daniel is God remains faithful in your faithfulness. God remains faithful in your faithfulness. We again ask our staff, what do you think about the word faithfulness? Let's hear what they say.
0: Also, treuer für mich heißt mein Kaffee
1: und ich täglich.
0: Treue ist für mich zu wissen, tief im Herzen, dass Jesus immer an meiner Seite ist und mich nie verlassen wird. Treue ist für mich, dass ich zu dem, wo ich mal Ja gesagt habe, auch dabei bleibe. Zum Beispiel bei meiner Frau, bei meiner Church. Treue bedeutet für mich, zueinander zu stehen und miteinander durch dick und dünn zu gehen. Treue ist für mich, an einem Ort zu bleiben, selbst wenn es ungemütlich wird. Treue? Zählt das heute noch was? Ja, ich denke schon. Treue ist für mich, bei jemandem zu bleiben, dem ich es versprochen habe, auch wenn es sonst niemand anderes mehr tun würde. Treue ist für mich eine Entscheidung. Treue ist ohne Anerkennung zu dienen.
1: Alright. We come to the last story of Daniel. And I believe this story is the most famous one. It's the story of the lion's hair. Say hello to the lion. This is Mufasa. Hello, Mufasa. I don't trust him. I don't get used to it. If you realize I was always talking over here, it was because of the lion. No, just kidding. What happened? Daniel was a, a counselor of four different kings. Now we have King Darius, who is ruling the nation. Daniel is number two. in, in, in uh, He's sort of the vice president of that time. Now the problem is, all the other guys, all the other consultants, they got jealous on Daniel. Because the king was always asking him for advice. And they didn't have any thing to do, but just hoping that he might die or anything. So one day they decided, we have to get rid of this man. So they called the NSA, they searched his computer files, but they realized this guy has no mistake, he's such a clean person, Daniel had nothing to be blamed for. The only thing that they realized was that this guy still believes in this God of Israel. So one day, without Daniel, they went to the King Darius and they said, Oh, behold, King Darius, you are so strong and so holy. Why don't you uh, make a law that nobody is allowed to pray to any other god than to you, O Master, O King? And Darius was such a, a self-loving, narcissistic king that he didn't realize that this was a trap. And he might lose his best friend and consultant. So he said, oh, that's such a brilliant idea. This could have been my idea. And so he just seals the deal. And so there is this law. From one day to the other, there is this law. If you pray to any other God other than Darius, you will end up in the lion's pit. Now ask yourself, if we would meet tomorrow in small group, and Daniel would be one of the members. And he would tell us the news about this law, about his friends who are jealous on him that kind of tried to cheat him and kick him out of his job. What would we tell him? I was asking as I prepared this message, if I would be the guy who would say, come on, Daniel, I mean, God knows your heart. I mean, this is not about your faith. This is really about some stupid, jealous action of these stupid, je- jealous people. You know, co-workers. I mean, come on. I mean, there is a difference between your private life and your professional life. You all know this sentence. You know, faith, Christianity, that's your private life. But when you go to work, this is a professional. You have a position. I don't know what I would have told Daniel. So Daniel had to choose. How much do I allow my faith? to make it a little smaller, a little more private, take it back, hold it back for a few days until the thing is over. What is Daniel doing? Daniel found out that the king has signed the order. In spite of that, he did just as he had always done before. He went home to his upstairs room, its windows opened toward Jerusalem. He went to his room three times a day to pray. He got down on his knees and gave thanks to his God. Daniel chose to make his faith as public as possible. He didn't make it as private as possible without getting in trouble with God. No, he chose to make it as public as possible. So there are, here are a few details in this verse. It says, he went into the upper room. So from every part of the building, you could look up and see him. He also tells us the window was open. He took the window that was pointing to Jerusalem. So every doubt would be uh, over. Everyone knew he was definitely praying, not to Darius, but the king of Israel. And to make it really, really sure, he went down on his knees. As an official sign. Hey guys. I am praying to God of Israel. He makes it as clear. As possible. And he knew. 100% That these co-workers were watching him. He knew it 100%. Daniel was not a stupid man. He knew this was a trap. And he knew. If God will not do. A tremendous miracle. I will end up being eaten by this guy, Mufasa. Yeah, it's in the Greek, you no, know, in the Hebrew. If you really study the Hebrew, it says Mufasa. Just kidding. Just kidding. And guys, guys this is, for me, such a challenge. I respect this story. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to preach this because this makes me speechless. This guy, all of his year, all of his life, ended up getting into trouble, getting into a situation where he risks to lose everything, even his own life, his own family. And again and again, he's able and willing to risk it for the purpose of God. And every time God honors this man and gives him even more. Last week, we had Nick teaching on this topic of favor of God, and I am so convinced God gives us favor. God provides us favor. God gives something into our hand. But our job is to always let it go and to sacrifice it for the kingdom of God. We cannot hold to it. We cannot grab to it. It's not us, it's God's. It's just a tool that goes and belongs to him. The favor that God gives us, the talents that God gives us, the position that God gives you and your company In your university, it's God's position. It's God's talent. It does not belong to us. Our hands should always stay open. Always stay open. Daniel did this all of his life, and he became one of the most influential people of the Old Testament. Last Friday, I was on YouTube with my kids watching different uh, videos, and I ended up seeing a video of a guy, his name is Jordan Smith. And I don't know if some of you guys got those stories last year. Jordan Smith signed up for The Voice of America, a casting singing show, the most famous and successful right now. And he's a Christian, and even before he applied, his, his name on Twitter was, I am a musician, I'm an artist, I'm a traveler, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we all know in America, it's easy to say, yeah, I thank God for the gifts that he gave me. This is, this is cultural, okay. But when you end up saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, you make it official. You made it provoking. And he started singing in, inside his casting. And instead of singing some bad songs, he sang songs like, Great is the High Faithfulness. Using this position and all of this life, um, um, people that are watching, using the, the chance to share the gospel. And when it came to the Christmas season, he chose songs like, Mary, Did You Know? A song that is basically telling the whole story of Jesus going to the cross, sacrificing his life, being rose again, able to forgive sins. And this is so provoking, I think many of us and many advisors would have said, well, this guy is risking it. This guy will not win. But God gave him the favor. God gave him a voice that is supernatural. And he won the race. And now comes the question, what did he do when he, after he won it? What did he do when he had to sign the contract? And this is the most challenging thing. My own wife is working in the music business and I can tell you there's a lot of rules There's a lot of stuff in this contract that they ask you not to do, to maybe leave away, not to say, not be offending. And during that time, what did he do? He went into the most evangelical church (laughs) that I know, which is Saddleback in LA, and he did an interview with Pastor Rick Warren and shared his story and shared all of what God is doing. And I was so excited to hear that story. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize it last year. And I was even more proud when I opened the newspaper last night. I don't know if, if you guys saw that. There was an article of a family of our church that had come to our church um, for many years now. And the newspaper made an interview with them, uh, a report, how they live their Christian life, but also how they live their life inside this church, of Zurich. And it was one of the best articles that we ever had on God and faith and church. And I was so proud and so amazed about what this family said and how they spoke with boldness and honesty about their God and the kingdom of God. I believe so much it's time to let go of shame. It's time to define Christianity as, as something just easy and, and 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 neutral but I believe it's time to rise and rise and make a difference and raise our voice I want to end up with a story a personal story um, as a kid I had a dream a bad dream that always came back and it had to do with Mufasa um, again and again and again as a small boy during my sleep a lion would come from the side he would stand on my shoulder and he would roar at me and then it always the same thing happened i fell out of bed i woke up on the floor crying shouting for my parents and i dreamed this dream again and again and again i was always praying before i went to bed that i don't dream my bad dream And after a few years, it started to go away. I didn't dream it anymore. Many years later, I went to a Christian conference in Atlanta. We flew in. We went right into the conference. I was totally jet lagged. Some guy was teaching. I could not hear anything because I was tired and I was freezing because in the States, it's too cold. Air condition is too cold in the States. In heaven, it will be different. I'm telling you. This is not godly. This is terrible. So I didn't, was not able to hear any of the message. I have no clue what the preacher was preaching. But when he came to the finish, he went to his knees. And he said, why don't we ask the Spirit of God just to speak to us personally? And I was not expecting much. I just said, okay, God, why don't you speak to me? And all of a sudden, in front of my inner eye, I saw this dream of the lion again. I saw exactly the same scene, how he comes, steps on my shoulder, and starts roaring at me. But then for the first time, my dream continued. And instead of me falling out of the bed, I started turning to the lion, and I started fighting with the lion. And it was not a bad fight of enemies. It was a fight of friends measuring their strength to each other. And I started weeping like crazy. You can ask Dave, he was laughing very bad at me because I was weeping like a child for minutes. And I realized how God was saying to me, Andy, this lion that you are running away from, this is you. You are running away of your own identity. You are afraid of your own identity. There's something that I have put into you that scares you. And it's time to not any longer run away. But to hold it and grasp it and live it and dare to live it for the kingdom of God. And I made a decision that day and said, God, if you call me to be a lion, I want to be this lion. Why do I tell you this? I believe so much that the lion is an image that is true for all of us. Many prophets have come to Switzerland. And this image of the lion comes back again and again. Around 14 years ago, a book was published. A prophecy was published by a man. And he was speaking about this prophetic word, this prophetic image that God uses Switzerland as a lion who stands up, who has a key position, a key influence in the church history he challenged us as a church to say we are not any longer just huddling in a world that is dark no we start going out we start raising our voice we start making a difference not like a T Christian but like age Christian a Hita Christian and we start believing that God wants to use us just like he used Daniel to change our society to change our neighborhood, to change our schools, to change our co-workers, to change the business we work for. You are a spokesman of God. You are in a place where only you are. And God entrusted the kingdom of God into your hand and my hand. Why do we stand up? And what I wanted to do is I would like to pray this simple prayer asking God to pour out the spirit of boldness that we might be speakers of truth in love to the people and the world around us why don't we raise our hands as a sign that we want to receive and why do we pray in Jesus name oh father here I am standing in front of you with so many limitations. And I know for so many reasons that I was stepping away, that I kept my mouth shut instead of speaking truth and love. God, this afternoon I decide to be a spokesman of you. This afternoon I make a decision to open my mouth where you called me to, to make a difference where you called me to, But God, I need some supernatural help. and This is why I ask for me and all my brothers and sisters that you might pour out the spirit of boldness. God, please pour out a new authority of boldness and love and wisdom and authority over us as a church, ICF. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's sing this song as a proclamation. God, you make me brave. This is not an option. This is something you do. You will make me brave. And I wait here standing in front of you, God. You me Sing this loud, God.